Hello, my rebels. In today's podcast, I take you through various passages, about a dozen passages, from the BC Human Rights Tribunal ruling against Jonathan, aka Jessica Yaniv, the trans extremist who kept demanding that immigrant women wax his cojones. It's quite a ruling. Um, unbelievable, the, the things they say about him. Uh, better late than never, of course, the Human Rights Tribunal was complicit in his persecution of these women. Um, before I get out of the way and let you get to the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber. You get the video version of the show. <laughs> oh boy, we show you some clips of Yaniv in full flight today. Yeah, you know what? You'll, you got to get the video version. You just got stuff. You can do that at premium.rebelnews.com. It's eight bucks a month, a bargain at twice the price. All right, folks, here's the podcast. Tonight, the BC Human Rights Tribunal smashes Jonathan Yaniv, the fake woman who insisted real women wax his uh, gear. I'll take you through their decision. It's October 25th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon yeah. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say is government the why is because it's my bloody right to do so. The BC Human Rights Tribunal is probably the worst human rights tribunal in the country, and I've studied them. They're all bad. I was taken before the Alberta Human Rights Commission for publishing some cartoons. The Federal Human Rights Commission literally sent their own staff to join neo-Nazi groups, where they posted hundreds of racist comments. I mean, they're abominable. I remember when I was writing my best-selling book about all these commissions called Shakedown, I encountered this one case in BC involving a McDonald's restaurant where an employee said she suddenly couldn't wash her hands. A McDonald's employee. She just said she couldn't. And McDonald's actually took her to an allergist and took her to a dermatologist and tried to help. But look, there's simply no way to work at a fast food restaurant without washing your hands. So they gave her a nice severance and said goodbye, but... <clears throat> She took them to the BC Human Rights Tribunal, and they said that McDonald's was discriminating against her, that she had the human right not to wash her hands, I swear to God, and she won 50 grand. And more than that, the Human Rights Tribunal actually ordered McDonald's not to force anyone else to wash their hands in the same circumstances. Now, I am certain that McDonald's ignored those idiots, but that is how dumb the Human Rights Tribunal is in BC. But even those morons, even those kangaroo courts, even those jokes, those unjust clowns, even they have their limits, and their limit was reached by Jonathan Yaniv, a man who now calls himself Jessica Yaniv, who tweets about having his period, his menstrual cycle, and things like that. I don't think he's crazy. I think it's an act, a pervy act, to access women's change rooms where he takes photos, a pervy act to get 
access to naked teenagers who he invites to swimming pool parties, and most grossly, where he books appointments with estheticians who are used to giving women bikini waxes, and he books those appointments as a woman, pretending to be a woman, claiming to be a woman, then he shows up as a man and insists that they wax them and that they touch him and do to him what he wants. And often, by the way, those estheticians happen to be immigrant women working from home. He literally comes to their house and he does this again and 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 again. And when they say no, he demands money from them. He sues them at, you guessed it, the BC Human Rights Tribunal. I mean, if you get 50 grand for not wanting to wash your hands as a McDonald's employee, for the human right not to have to wash your hand before touching a hamburger, why not? I mean, it's not like he has to pay for anything. It's all governed, all covered by the government. And they do say he has a right because they're discriminating against him on the basis of gender identity. He says he's not a woman. He said he's a woman, excuse me. <clears throat> he's not. But he says he is. He says he's a trans woman. And he says that's the law now. So he took all these women to the BC Human Rights Tribunal, and he managed to get them prosecuted, to let him prosecute them in, in secret, as in he got to hide his name. He actually played the victim. He claimed he was in danger. So he <laughs> managed to get a publication ban on his own lawsuits so he could, could continue to go out there and harass and entrap other women. This happened. Well, it also happened that he finally got the ruling from the BC Human Rights Tribunal, and he lost, and it is glorious. Now, I say again, this is still a kangaroo court. It is still a farce, a clown show. This is the Human Rights Tribunal member, Devin Cousineau, who heard the case. She is a kooky-crazy nut herself. She's a radical herself, who has issued extremist rulings in cases very much like this one before, in favor of Morgane Ogre, a well-named trans extremist from BC. So this human rights tribunal kook is out there all the way, but Jonathan Yaniv was just a bridge too far. So I would like to go through the ruling of this kangaroo court, the BC Human Rights Tribunal, as written by the chief kangaroo herself, Devin Cousineau, because you've gotta be like a 10th degree black belt in the crazy department, for even Devin Cousineau to say you've gone too far. But we know that. We've seen Yaniv and his crazy mom attack our own David Menzies, too. Just nuts. So the ruling is out. <clears throat> Yaniv had taken all these estheticians to the Human Rights Tribunal, and he lost. And he has to pay each of the estheticians $2,000 for his harassment of them. That's very, very rare in human rights land. Normally, nuisance suits are unpunished because really, they're all nuisance suits at the Human Rights Tribunal. What do you think that McDonald's thing was? But this was so deeply damaging to the Human Rights Tribunals themselves, to their reputation themselves, to show the world that they could be hijacked in this way. This was really about self-preservation by the BC Human Rights Tribunal. So that's how it ends. He lost. But let me tell you how the ruling begins. Here's the very first paragraph in this 60-page ruling. See, Yaniv isn't just the crazy one, so is the tribunal. Let me read it to you. Jessica Yaniv is a transgender woman 
All of the respondents operate businesses which offer waxing services. <clears throat> Miss, <laughs> Miss Yaniv requested waxing services from each of the respondents. In five cases, she requested waxing of her scrotum. In two, she requests waxing of her arms or legs. In each case, she told the respondent that she was a transgender woman and the respondent refused to provide Miss Yaniv with service. Miss Yaniv says that this refusal to serve her is discrimination on the basis of her gender identity and expression in violation of Section 8 of the Human Rights Code. Okay, uh, let's start. It's Jonathan. It's not Jessica. I suppose we can call ourselves whatever we want to as a free country. I can call myself the the king of Spain and insist that you call me your highness, but imagine writing all this with a straight face. In five cases, she requested waxing of her scrotum. That's like saying in five cases, the fish requested that its wings be waxed. See, the thing is, fish don't have wings, even if they desperately want them, and women don't have, I'm sorry to get biological here, they don't have the male gear. And if the Human Rights Tribunal pretends that they do, she, her scrotum, sorry, how, how is that any less nutty than Yaniv? Any less a group of con men than, than he is? Well, the answer is in the very last sentence I quoted you in that very first paragraph. Miss Yaniv says that this refusal to dis serve her is discrimination on the basis of her gender identity and expression in violation of Section 8 of the Human Rights Code. And you know, that's right. If you pass a law that says people have to provide a service to someone, regardless of their gender identity and expression, if you seriously make that the law, then how is what Yaniv did crazy? I mean, sex is biological. It's a DNA thing. It's a genes thing. You're a man or you're a woman. There are only two options. And it's not a matter of opinion. Gender used to simply mean the expression of that sex, girlish things, boyish things. It was really a synonym for sex, but gender identity and gender expression, that's just what you say you are or what you pretend you are. That's not inherent. I don't think anyone in the world would actually think Yaniv is a woman. And the fact that he's still got his twig and berries says he's not really even pretending that hard, is he? He's just a pervy guy who wants strange women to have to touch his junk. So, Yaniv uh, is crazy, or actually not, not crazy. I take that back. He's cunning. Here's a weirdo who, who, who gamed the system. He couldn't get a date as a man. He couldn't get a woman to touch him. So, he just called himself a woman and demanded that estheticians touch him or face an extortionate lawsuit. 25 years ago, that would get a guy beaten up by the woman's brother or husband or father, and maybe the police would come around. But it's 2019 now, and if the police come around now, it's to arrest the estheticians for being an anti-trans bigot. I mean, Yaniv is gross, but it's the Human Rights Tribunal who forced these women through a trial. Who's the bigger weirdo? Now, you'll know that Yaniv and his mother are pathological liars. They're grifters. Let me give you just one example of a fact upon which I base my opinion, you know he pretends to be disabled too, right? Um, here he is on a mobility scooter, threatening one of our reporters, of course. Okay, 
Get out. This is a secure area. Get out. Get out. This is a public space. No, it's not. Get out. It is. Get out or I will pepper spray you. Excuse me? No, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Go out. No. Don't touch me. Out. Out you go. Sorry, that was another reporter. He threatens our reporter in this clip. Um, and here he is getting on a disabled a transit bus. I'm just asking you a question. Yeah. Mom, you will be shot. You station, you okay. will be shot. You are sorry. harassing me. You are harassing you. I'm just asking you a question. Mom. Okay, we see you in court. Okay, let's let, 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 really get in here. Okay. Is, there, is there a really help? So um, he pretends to be disabled, but here he is running like a bull. Viewers of this space have noticed footage in which uh, Jonathan Yaniv is breaking into uh, a trot that resembles tryouts for the 100-meter dash. <laughs> well, which is it? Is he disabled? Of course not. And he's not a gal either. Is he disabled? No, he's, he's just fat. I'm fat too, but I don't need wheel trans a scam to get free transit without having to pay for a taxi he's a schemer and a scammer and so is his weird mom so here's what the human rights kangaroo court said i found aspects of miss yaniv's testimony to be disingenuous and self-serving in cross-examination she was evasive and argumentative and contradicted herself oh you think you think let me read a little bit about how this predator works. I'm going to read to you, and this is just a short excerpt. Believe you me, this is 60 gross pages long, and I read the whole thing. I'm just going to read you a short ex excerpt about how Yaniv targeted one particular woman, a Sikh immigrant woman, who didn't want to wax men. The woman's name is Sandeep Benipal. Let me read. Miss Benipal operates a salon business from a small room in her home. During business hours, she is alone in the home with her children. She testified that she runs this business to earn some extra money to support her children. I'm going to pick this up midway through this part of the ruling. It goes on for quite a bit. Miss Benipal assumed that male parts meant penis and scrotum. She has not been trained to wax a scrotum and said that <clears throat> the request made her feel nervous and uncomfortable. During the hearing, she testified that she felt uncomfortable just talking about it and her discomfort was apparent. She told Miss Yaniv, sorry, I do only for ladies. Two days later, Miss Yaniv approached Miss Benipal again. This time she used a Facebook account with the name Jessica and a picture showing a person wearing makeup with longer blonde hair, which she found on the internet. These details would support an assumption that Jessica was a woman. She asked Miss Benipal whether she offered Brazilian waxes and Miss Benipal said that she did. Miss Yaniv then asked whether Miss Benipal would provide the service while she was on her period, pressing her to agree to work around the string of a tampon. While I found her to be evasive on this issue, Miss Yaniv acknowledged that she was not menstruating and would not have required Miss Benipal to work around a tampon. Rather, she testified that the purpose of asking this question was to test Miss Benipal's professionalism and to see if this was a legitimate business. 
I do not accept that explanation. If Miss Yaniv were genuinely curious about the legitimacy of Miss Benipal's business, she could have asked questions related to training, licensing, facilities, or other matters relevant to the business. At this point, she had already been refused service and was using deception to gather more information for some other purpose. In an unrelated Facebook post, Miss Yaniv said publicly that the funniest thing is asking an immigrant for a tampon. They freak out, laugh out loud. In my view, the most likely scenario, said the judge, is that Miss Yaniv was trying to make Miss Benipal feel uncomfortable or awkward for her own amusement or as a form of revenge. This is consistent with Miss Yaniv's behavior in relation to all of the respondents. So he's a liar, he's a trapper, he's a hunter, he's a deceiver. He's obviously some sort of perv in the sense that he wants to trick this immigrant Sikh woman into touching his junk. Despite her clear objection to doing so, and, and the fact he used a fake photo to try and trick her into letting him in her home. And the grossest part of this is that he managed to hijack the BC Human Rights Tribunal to be a part of this scheme. The fact that they would eventually after worldwide media, after many months, finally rule against him as little consolation. Miss Benipal was put through this whole thing. Look, he did this again and again and again. I, there are so many instances, I'm not gonna read you all six, there's 60 pages of this. 60 pages of him brutalizing these women. Frankly, he belongs in jail, a men's jail, not a women's jail, let me stop you. Let me give you an example of his deception. It's with another immigrant woman who worked from home while taking care of her kids. He sure knew how to pick them. Yaniv sent a picture of himself as a man and started harassing her. And then this, let me quote. Miss Yaniv responded, excuse me, and sent a photograph of herself in a pink baseball cap with makeup on saying, this is me. This was clearly a different person than she originally Representative was coming, <clears throat> Ms. De Silva called her husband to tell him what was happening and that she found it suspicious. He told her not to take the appointment if she felt unsafe. At this point, she decided that she did not feel comfortable keeping the appointment. She said, sorry, I don't have a problem, but I don't do it. Miss Yaniv responded, why not? And Ms. De Silva answered that her husband would not allow her to. So this weirdo, Yaniv, was endlessly texting, texting and then sending one picture of herself and then another picture, different, different people. What woman would let such a creep, such a stalker into her home, demanding to get naked? Where the hell are the police here? There are so many cases, each of which involve Yaniv tricking or trapping, deceiving immigrant women, and then verbally abusing them, threatening them, and then suing them, reading it made me think of, of someone abusing animals, the sheer cruelty of it, that they took delight from the cruelty. That's what I thought of when I read how Yaniv abused these women. I thought, here's a guy, it feels like he's abusing animals. He was abusing people, which is much worse. Here's what the BC Human Rights Tribunal said about this. I find that Miss Yaniv's predominant motive in filing her waxing complaints is not to prevent or remedy alleged discrimination, but to target small businesses for personal financial gain. In many of these complaints, she is also motivated to punish racialized and immigrant women based on her perception that certain ethnic groups, namely South Asian and Asian communi communities, are taking over and advancing an agenda hostile to the interests of LGBTQ plus people. I reached this conclusion based on a number of factors. A, the volume of similar complaints and the profile of the respondents. B, 
Miss Yaniv's use of deception to manufacture some of these complaints. C. Miss Yaniv's efforts to punish the respondents. D. Miss Yaniv's stated desire to resolve all of her complaints for a financial settlement and her pattern of withdrawing complaints in the face of opposition. And E. Miss Yaniv's animus towards certain racial, religious, and cultural groups. Yeah, he's a scammer. <laughs> Miss Yaniv. Let me read some more. Miss Yaniv filed 13 very similar complaints within a four-month time span. So being a scammer is pretty much a full-time job. We know that. This is such a gross ruling, though, to read it all. Yaniv is so gross. His gross mother makes appearances in it, too. She was a witness for him, though the BC Human Rights Tribunal says her information was largely irrelevant and useless. Remember her, the weird mum? Wait for my face before I slap you. Go away. Jessica, would I be able to ask you a few questions? Would you be able to, do you have any Go away! Go away! Do you have any weapons on you? Go away! Hey, don't touch me! Don't touch me! No, go away! Don't touch me! Get out! Stay away from me! This is private property! Okay, you need to chill, lady. private property! Do you have any weapons on you? I'm wondering, I will show you in a minute. So gross, they're both so crooked, but they managed to get the tribunal to let them operate in secrecy. Let me read to you a little bit about that from the ruling. The publication ban enabled Miss Yaniv's misconduct in filing these complaints by allowing her to file such a high volume of complaints with no public accountability by seeking the tribunal's protection at the same time as she was actively engaging online on these same issues. She undermined the integrity of the very order she had sought. I find, therefore, that circumstances have changed since I concluded in mint tanning that Miss Yaniv's representations did not prejudice the integrity of the tribunal's process. I now find that these misrepresentations were improper. So Yaniv lied to the tribunal to get them to put a publication ban over everything he was doing. But then he used that secrecy given to him by the government to harass a dozen women. Like I say, he's super gross, his mom's super gross, but they were both completely enabled by this government tribunal that is the grossest of them all. Absolutely, this is on them too, despite their Johnny-come-lately ruling. Now, let me give a shout-out to our friends at the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom. You know, John Carpe's group, they intervene as lawyers for a bunch of the immigrant estheticians here, and Yaniv immediately panicked. He abandoned some of his complaints just to get the lawyers out of the room. Anyone the Justice Center worked for, he, he dropped his complaints against them, and then he applied to kick those lawyers off the case for the remaining clients. He was obviously terrified of fighting real men, real lawyers. He prefers to threaten immigrant women in private. Let me read some more. Early on in this process, Miss Yaniv withdrew two of her complaints after the JCCF was retained as counsel. Various waxing salons at paragraph nine. Uh, in doing so, her express purpose was to remove Mr. Cameron as counsel. Mint Tanning at paragraph 15. She later applied unsuccessfully to have Mr. Cameron removed as counsel for the represented respondents and barred from appearing in front of this tribunal. She is ultimately being compelled to face him in these complaints after I denied all applications to have him removed and found that her pattern of withdrawals was improper. 
Just to be clear, the tribunal called Yaniv an extortionist. Let me quote. I have concluded that Miss Yaniv engaged in improper conduct by filing these complaints for an improper purpose, misleading the tribunal in respect to the publication ban, being untruthful with respect to a central aspect of her complaint, engaging in extortionate behavior, and making scurrilous attacks on Mr. Cameron and the JCCF. Jonathan Yaniv is a pathological liar and a scammer. I don't care if you call him Jonathan or Jessica or him or her. He's an extortionist either way. So is his mother. <laughs> By the way, his mother calls him him. Even she can't remember the scam. Yaniv terrorized women across Vancouver with impunity, aided by this same kangaroo court. It's only because they were embarrassed, too, that they turned on him. They actually were his enforcers, his muscle. They were the threat. They were the stick. They were the ones who actually kept his identity secret with a publication ban while he molested other women, molested them legally. I don't know if he actually molested them physically. This human rights tribunal is to blame as much as anyone. Only when the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms got involved did his scheme start to fall apart. Who knows who else was ground up by him before the JCCF saved the day. And shame on all the fake feminists out there who were fine with all this, supporting a con man instead of real women he was victimizing. There's still unfinished business here. He obviously committed a, the crime of assault and battery against our own. David Menzies, and he has yet to be charged with that crime, despite the fact that the RCMP have the footage. Maybe now the BC Human Rights Tribunal itself calls Geneva a con man, a liar, an extortionist. Maybe now the police will be less cowardly and lay charges for the assault. I won't hold my breath. But for now, let the truth be known. Jonathan Yaniv is a crook. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, you'll know that I've been madder than a snake that married a garden hose for almost <laughs> two months now, ever since some animal rights extremists had a home invasion style raid on a Hutterite farming colony in southern Alberta. They invaded the property, 60 of them. They occupied the turkey barns for hours, as you can see, there was a great number of them. The worst part was actually the response by the RCMP, who came and did not make any arrests, but rather styled themselves as mediators between the criminals and the victims. They actually assisted in negotiating some terms, including that the media would be given access to make some political style statement as if there was like an airplane hostage taking hijacking and secondly to actually approve and oversee the theft of five turkeys now the hutterites are so gentle they said well take the hutterites take the turkeys as a gift the police oversaw the theft and doug schweitzer the left-wing attorney general in jason kenney's government gave speech after speech about getting tough on rural crime but didn't do a bloody thing until finally this week, charges were laid 
but only against four people. And you saw with yourself there. There were a great many people there, and police know their names. Charged are three adults and one minor. The three adults are Claire Buchanan of Calgary, 28, Kennedy Ray Herbert, 24, of Pincher Creek. And the most surprising thing, and something I'd like to focus on in today's segment, is the fourth person to be charged, a 46-year-old man named Maxwell Ma, who just happens to be an employee of Global News, a journalist. And I say again, part of the hostage shakedown extortion deal was that Global News be given access to these protesters. So it was an inside job. Joining us now via Skype from Northern Alberta to talk about this scandal is our friend Sheila Gunn-Reed. Sheila, I can't believe it that Global News had a journalist on the inside, or as you put it in your video, maybe the eco-terrorists had someone on the inside of Global, but either way, the whole thing was a setup, and Global News was in on it from the beginning. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but I always thought it was somewhat fishy that Global News was the media outlet of choice for these protesters to contact and get down to the farm. And uh, the initial reporting came from Global News Calgary, so that was two hours away from the farm, and yet... Global News was Johnny on the spot there. They were there right away, um, participating really in these terroristic hostage demands. They held the farm hostage until uh, Global News of all news outlets were allowed to wander through the barn, just like uh, the protesters. And that was because Global News pretty clearly was tipped off about the protest by a Global News employee who was in on the protest. And Global News never mentioned that fact in any of their coverage up until the point that charges were laid. And because the names of the adults who were charged was announced, it was eventually going to come out that a Global News employee was involved in this. So they begrudgingly tell the world in the third to last sentence of their story. As of right now, other than your video last night, <clears throat> I have not seen any other media identify a global journalist as one of the accused terrorists. Now, by the way, I'm using the word terrorist. I've used yeah. the word hijack and hostage. I believe those are accurate. What's so frustrating is how minor the charges are. There's a phrase in prosecuting, you can undercharge someone, you can overcharge someone. Typically, police and prosecutors like to overcharge someone so they can maybe bargain away. If they slap them with everything imaginable, they can maybe do a deal or they can get the person to plead guilty to lower charges. Here, it's as if lazy Doug Schweitzer and his attorney general, uh, his, his prosecutors, went for the lowest charge possible to begin with, one count of break and enter uh, to commit mischief. I, I don't see anything about theft. I don't see anything about home invasion. I don't see anything about extortion. There's a part of our criminal code called criminal organizations that you can use to bust up sort of a gang that's doing something for their criminal benefit. None of those charges here. And, and why just four people? So there's a lot of questions that uh, Attorney General 
Doug Schweitzer has to answer for. There's a lot of questions the RCMP has to answer for. But I'm just stunned the Global News had a journalist as part of this criminal act, and apparently he still works at Global News. Yeah, you know, I noticed the very specific wording that Global News used when they were reporting on the fact that one of their employees was part of this uh, home invasion. And it wasn't that he was an employee of Global News. It was that he is an employee of Global News Edmonton as he remains an employee of Global News Edmonton. But you're so right about Doug Schweitzer. He's been doing these town hall meetings all across the province saying he's going to throw the book at people who are committing rural crime and specifically um, this new genre of crime that seems to be farm invasions and invading um, oil field sites. So like workplace invasions that, and in the case of this Hutterite farm, that also happens to be their home. But now when the rubber meets the road, when we can see how serious uh, the new government is about all this, they've severely undercharged these people and they haven't charged any of the organizers or the spokespeople. They've sort of just charged the lowest hanging fruit here and i would suggest probably the people uh, most likely to get off with a slap on their wrist including the minor that's involved in all of this yeah <clears throat> i mean we we showed a, a moment ago how many people there were 60 people six zero yeah and even in this picture alone you can see uh, a dozen people all of them uh had in you know trespassing all of them committing mischief all of them engaging in extortion um, all of them probably breaking other health code or biohazard laws. I'm not an expert on farm laws and laws regarding livestock, but you bring a bunch of snotty kids into a turkey barn and you might theoretically, I mean, uh, I understand from your reports that every animal in that uh, barn was later sold for slaughter and with only one exception. So obviously that didn't happen, but it was all at risk. Uh, it's outrageous, the difference between the tough talk and the weak action by Doug Schweitzer. But let's get back to global here. Um, I mean, I know a little bit about the TV business, not just from here at The Rebel, but when I worked for Sun News, for, for global to have been on the spot, for them to have done the news stories, probably a dozen people in that company would have known that one of their own employees was part of this crime wave he himself knew he would have contacted the official global reporters he would have dealt with the global reporter and producer on the scene there's probably two or three people on the scene uh, they surely would have talked to their more senior producers um, i bet they approved this officially and if not officially they approved it by their conduct they ran with it and they knew it was disreputable because they hid that. They did not disclose that to their viewers. So they knew it was wrong. They knew it was immoral and surely illegal, but they deceived their own viewers by pretending, oh, we just happened to hear about this. Oh, they just happened to demand that Global be there to publish the demands of the hijackers and hostage takers. They were part of the crime themselves global news should have been charged because the fruits of the crime also flowed to global news they got the scoop 
Global News conducted themselves not just as a fake news organization, but as a criminal organization, Sheila. Yeah, there's a lot of conspiracies going on here, aren't there? Um, there's the one of, of the farm uh, invaders, but there's also the conspiracy of silence um, from Global News to keep this information away from their viewership until they absolutely couldn't keep a lid on it anymore. And had Maxwell Ming Ma not ever been charged, we wouldn't have known the extent to which Global News was involved in all of this. You know what this reminds me of? Remember when I went to Camp Cloud? I was just thinking about this when you were talking. When I went to Camp Cloud and that APTN reporter had embedded himself with the activists, clearly acting as an activist, and he came down to accost me as I walked up uh, Burnaby Mountain to the encampment. Um, he never identified himself as a journalist. He clearly didn't want me there. But it, it's this sort of uh, mainstream media overlapping. They don't want to admit, look, I'm an activist, I admit it. They don't want to admit they're activists and then they don't divulge that information to the viewer. There's just so much dishonesty that, I mean, it's really no uh, wonder that people can't trust the mainstream media. Yeah, there's one more thing. I mean, I was looking at um, when I saw the names of the three uh, adults who were charged, obviously I hopped on Google to see what uh, their social media profile was. And uh, Claire Buchanan and Kennedy Ray Herbert are... They're not super young, but they're women in their 20s, and they look like vegan, animal rights mm -hmm. people. I mean, uh, Claire Buchanan thinks she's a bit of an Instagram model or something. It's actually pretty funny, but you can see she's always hugging animals, wearing vegetarian shirts. She's absolutely playing the part of the 20-something single vegetarian activist girl. I mean, that's no big surprise that she's cannon fodder for this action. And same with Kennedy Herbert, and obviously a 16-year-old girl too. I'm not gonna call them victims, although maybe the teenager is, but mm -hmm. the other two, they look the part. And you've got all these 20-something and teenage girls, and then you've got a 46-year-old man just happens to be in the mix? I don't believe it. Was he, an organizer? Was he paid? Did he pay them for the scoop? I just don't believe that a 46-year-old global news journalist from Edmonton just happened to fall in with 20-something girls from Calgary and Pincher Creek in a Fort McLeod uh, home invasion style robbery. I don't believe it was just coincidence, and I don't believe he's a peer of theirs. I believe he was some sort of a fixer or a boss or something more senior. Yeah, I, I think it all goes back to the fact that, you know, the coverage came from Global News Calgary about this event and the Hutterite farm chosen, uh, they say completely at random, I think chosen because they're Hutterites and they're pacifists and they won't fight back. So if you're using young girls and malnourished women as cannon fodder, the Hutterite farm is a safe place to break the law. Um, it's, it's all very strange how a news crew from two hours away was able to be there right as the story happened. You know, um, I've just looked up while we're chatting here on, on my laptop, 
uh, the Edmonton Journal coverage, that's Post Media, CTV coverage, yeah. they all mention Maxwell Ming Ma's name. None of them mention that he's with Global. Now, maybe that's just lazy and they didn't type his name into Google, but why, w this to me, is a scandal of the highest order in, from a journalistic point of view. Yes, it's a crime. Yes, it's eco-activism um, that has to be nipped in the bud. If you, th this is, I tell you, a lot of anti-oil sands extremists are watching how this is being treated. Mm -hmm. And so far, the RCMP and Doug Schweitzer have failed. But this is a journalistic crisis. It's fake news, and it's a, a news organization hiding its role in manufacturing the news. And I think that we need to do some digging here, Sheila, because obviously Canada's so-called media critics won't. Um, the, the company itself, using the present tense, Maxwell Mingwa is an employee at Global Edmonton. Obviously, they're just tickety-boo with this. They were fine with it the day before it was released in public. In fact, they were colluding to keep it a secret. This is a deep, deep rot. And remember, Global also is affiliated with radio stations, um, Chorus Entertainment, uh, CHQR, things like that. So this is, I wonder, I wonder if this is the first time the global news has been part of a setup in manufacturing a fake news story. How would we even know? Yeah, the only reason we know is because charges were laid. That's it. If charges were never laid, we would never have known Maxwell Ming Ma's relationship to global news. But the good news is that you and I aren't done with this story yet. Um, the the uh, accused, I suppose, have to make um, some appearances in court and they're going to go to trial. And we're going to be following that very, very closely because there's a lot more information that uh, needs to come out. Now, whether or not it's going to come out, I suppose that's up to us to ask the hard questions. Um, but yeah, th this is very, very troubling. And, uh, you know, I noted in my video the difference in treatment that Global is getting when one of their people is charged for animal rights activism and trespass, break and enter. Um, well, they didn't get charged with trespass, excuse me, just break and enter. Um, how differently it would have been if that were one of us that, you know, got charged with a crime or even got a speeding ticket and somebody found out. Uh, CBC would lose their minds for a week and call us all not journalists. They would call us all activists. And yet Global News isn't getting any of that treatment, not even from the local news in Lethbridge and Pincher Creek. Yeah, I tell you, this is a disturbing story and I do not think it's over. I think we have to cover it in the court. I want to hear what Max yeah. Mingma's role is. I want to know if other global news people were in on it. I want to know if he was an organizer. Again, the fact that he's a 40 something year old guy hanging out with these young gals, I do not believe they were friends. I believe that this was a project that was managed. I believe he had a senior role and the fact that he was charged one of only four people to be charged, suggests that perhaps he had a senior role. Maybe he himself was actually negotiating with the police. We certainly won't learn the truth about this from Global News. We'll have to find it ourselves. You just can't trust a word the media party says, Sheila. Last word to you. Well, you did point out that, um, you know, we're going to have to find out this information in a court of law. And, um, I think you and I are going to be fighting over which one of us gets to sit in that courtroom um, because I'm curious about the interaction between Maxwell Ming Ma and the uh, global news journalists who will be reporting on the trial because I'm sure they'll be there too and I'll be there or you'll be there to see it. Yeah.
All right, Sheila, well, I'm glad you've been fighting for this. I believe that a large part of the fact that these charges were finally laid, even though they were undercharged and too few people were charged, I think a large amount of credit goes to you for keeping the feet to, uh, to the fire of the Attorney General, that lazy liberal Doug Schweitzer, who really delayed for two months here. I think yeah. your pressure is what pushed him over. So good on you. Let's keep up on this story because you can't trust anyone else. We will. All right, take care, my friend. There you have it, Sheila Gunn-Reed via Skype from Alberta. Can you believe it? How many other cases has Global News cooked up the story and not told you that, not disclosed that? I mean, it would be bad enough if they disclosed it, but they kept it secret from you, which meant they deceived you on purpose, which meant they knew what they were doing was unethical and they just didn't care. Stay with us, more ahead on the run. Hey, welcome back on my monologue yesterday about America now being a net oil exporter and Quebec being one of their major customers. Barb writes, Quebec, the province solely exists for whatever it can take from the rest of Canada and gives nothing back. No surprise, they import the largest quantity of foreign oil. Obviously, it's not all Quebecers. Just like all Ontarians didn't vote liberal and all of those who did don't hate the West, but Quebec's political class certainly knows how it all works. I should point out that uh, um, Quebec imports the most American oil, but New Brunswick and the Irving family, best friends of Dominique LeBlanc and the Liberal Party, they import the Saudi stuff, don't they? Liz writes, we don't want to be Ottawa slaves for no return or have to pay for Quebec to stay in Canada. See, that's the thing. I mean, Quebec never really wanted out because or they wanted out with bedroom privileges. They invented that phrase, sovereignty association. Well, which one is it, fellas? Uh, when, when a real divorce happens in the case of Czechoslovakia, both sides move apart pretty quick because they're resolved. Quebec was playing a game, as Lauren Gunter says, if the West chooses to go, they'll go quickly. Although Brexit style, I think the establishment will gum it up. Ryan writes, what does the West need to do when the East doesn't want your oil? You leave the country and sell it elsewhere, but the West needs a separation leader. What about Ezra? I think he would be the best leader to get us out of this one-sided marriage we have with the East. <coughs> Listen, I'm very sympathetic, and I think what the rebel can be counted on to do is to host the debate, to be a house for conversation, because every other media outlet in Alberta is dominated by host media, CBC, CTV, Global. They're run out of Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, whatever. And I guess we're based here in Ottawa, too, but we're not beholden to the establishment interests here. Do you really think the CBC is going to give a sympathetic ear to Western independence? Of course not. They'll besmirch it as bigoted. They'll do a Warren Kinsella and badmouth them as bigots. That's what they'll do. I think the role of the rebel is to have the conversation and flush it out. And you know what? If even having that conversation and taking the steps down that road causes Canada to reform itself, well, then that's great. I'm a skeptic. I've lived through that before. It didn't happen. I think the rebel will be the only trustworthy news and opinion source on this subject. All right, that's our show for today and for this week. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom.